It's always been the few that saved the many. Christianity started with Christ in 12. You see what it is today, the largest religion on the face of the earth. You understand me? So we don't need everybody. Not all the people. We need the right people. Jesus Christ was not a pacifist. Not at all. You not understand me? Not at all. Jesus Christ was not. A, he was very much aggressive. He challenged the authority. He challenged the elders of the Sanhedrin. Jesus Christ was an alpha male. Yeah. He wasn't no passive Negro. Stop giving me soft Christ. I want strong Christ. We are too passive and docile when it comes to marrying our religious faith in the fight for justice. And the issues you're speaking on resolving are issues that the church wants to and is working to resolve. Are you sure they're working to resolve? Well, you ain't got no money left over to do nothing except pay bills for that church. Get you a smaller church. My issue with the black church, it takes three things from black people that we can't afford to waste. Too much of our time. Bible study, choir, church. I ain't got an issue with that. If you were reciprocating, you take our time, you damn sure take our money, and then you take our hope and our energy. We see pictures of artists depicting Jesus as like a white guy with blue eyes. To be honest, my personal perspective is I don't necessarily care what he looks like. You must care if you care about the truth. Don't call yourself a man of cloth if you don't care about truth. Because if we care about truth, we care about the color of Jesus. Which way you want this? When you look at the the, the purpose of Christ, mm -hmm. his, his, his skin doesn't matter. As, ah! Why don't the truth matter? Here we go again. Color matters in the church. Jesus's color matters. Mr. Infantunde himself, the Prince of Pan-Africanism, the CEO of Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy, Dr. Umar Johnson. <laughs> Just a level set, just a level set so we know the type of gentleman we're dealing with here today. Today is January 29th. The time is roughly around 3 p.m. Right now, as we're speaking, we're in Philadelphia and the Eagles are playing their championship game. Um, you've spoken about how you're done with the NFL. If anybody was questioning whether or not he, you know, was serious about that, literally the entire Philly is all watching the game. If you're not watching the game, you're thinking about the game, you're partying about the game, and we're here trying to uplift the community. So clearly, you see what type of time you know, we're on today. Um, with that being said, today is also Sunday, right? And um, with it being Sunday, there's been a lot of church that's also been, been going on. Specifically in this conversation, I, did, I definitely wanted to focus our conversation on the Christian Black church and kind of dive into a lot of different things about that. So... I guess before I get started, I think you're such a passionate person, right? That most people would always wonder, what, what's this guy's spiritual beliefs, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're screaming about um, empowerment, if you're screaming about like socioeconomic issues, why aren't you screaming necessarily about, well, and you do, talk, you do talk about your spirituality, but so I think some people may wonder, what does he believe, right? Prior to doing um, this interview, I remember I, we were researching, trying to figure out, is he a Christian? Is he a Muslim? What's going on? We learned a lot. But the, I think one of the biggest significant things that I did learn was that um, you are more focused, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're more focused on the socioeconomic issues versus being focused on like leading with faith. Although you have your personal spirituality that you practice, would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I think spirituality is important 
because as African people, our heart and soul of existence is our connection with the creator. At the same time, we have to recognize that organized religion has been a distraction and in many cases could be considered an outright enemy of African progress. More people have been murdered in this world over Islam and Christianity than any other reason. And because of that, when you look at the role that religion played in our enslavement, both Islam and Christianity were used as weapons of enslavement against African people. The Arabs were in the slave trade before the Caucasians were. And so when you look at the justification for slavery in both religions, whether or not it was intended by Jesus or Muhammad uh, to put forth such a doctrine, at the end of the day, nonetheless, both religions co-signed our enslavement and participated in it. Uh, I don't have an issue with Christianity. My, my mother's family is Christian. I don't have an issue with Islam. We were raised Muslim. Yes. That's where the name Umar comes side, from. Right? Yes, sir. Uh, but at the same time, I see how religion has often served our oppressor much more than it has served us. Uh, I think religion is probably the greatest support base for white supremacy against African people than anything else. The fact that every religion basically, and there's few exceptions, there are exceptions, but there's few, every religion deifies oppression for black people. What do you mean by deifies? By deify, when you go to church or you go to the masjid, you're taught that our predicament as African people is divinely ordained. Everything is under the prerogative of God. And if you are a slave or free, if you are an oppressor or oppressed, it's because God set it up that way. So when you go to church, you're told that if you pray enough, if you improve your faith enough, if you donate enough money, God will reverse this. In other words, the big issue I have with black religion, it posits an external locus of control for black people. And okay. it's dangerous because an external locus of control says that there's nothing I can do to transform this reality. Something outside of me has to come and liberate me. And the danger of that external locus of control that Islam and Christianity gives the black people is that it parallels the same external locus of control that slavery gave us. In other words, during slavery, your freedom could only come if your master bequeathed it to you. Your freedom could only come if the government ended slavery with the 13th Amendment. Something outside of you, government, social activism, benevolent white people had to make you free. And so in the church and in the masjid, the logic is the same, although it's not the government or the white man that has to free you, it's God Almighty who has to free you. And because of that, it takes the responsibility off of us to transform our reality and we give it to the government or we give it to God. Now, okay, so there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack. So, okay, so for starters, one, um, I love the fact that um, you did grow up with um, your mom being Christian and your father being Muslim. So, so you're speaking from a place of not necessarily being outside, right? No, like, I was inside. You, I lived it. Yeah. So, like, you understood mm. and understand mm. like the, the the foundation of the religions. Absolutely. You've also gone into speaking on about just like um, what you refer to as toxic Christianity and toxic Islam, mm -hmm. right? So, what you're speaking on now. And and this is my view of it is the toxic this the toxic version of both faiths. I think your your viewpoint of the faiths 
practice in their pure form isn't necessarily expressed with what you're explaining, right? Because mm-hmm. what you're explaining now is basically saying, hey, um, it's up to God to change it. It's not up to us to change it. Absolutely. But that in is- its pure form, I have no issue with Islam or Christianity except what appears to be a justification for enslavement. That's the only doctrinal issue I have with both faiths. I don't think anyone should justify enslavement. Definitely not a religion. But outside of that, purely in terms of what they believe and what they profess, it may not necessarily be for me, but I don't take issue with it. The enemy of African people is not the faith, but the way in which it is taught in the way in which it is weaponized against African independence. Right. And I, and I would agree there. And I, and I think that like, um, to our defense, I think that when you look at the history of Christianity, uh, there is, um, toxicity, there there was toxic origins a lot of the time with Mm -hmm. the faith even being like instilled, especially within the black community, Mm -hmm. you know, the black church in itself grew, developed amongst, um, Jim Crow amongst um, and slavery. And every Christian denomination approved of slavery at one time or another. Well, and when you say approved, though. Some churches, some, act, they own slaves. The, liter- the church itself was a slave owner and a slave seller. Now, you did have a few denominations, some Quakers, but not all, because there were slave-owning Quakers. Uh, you had a few, but when you look at the majority of the denominations, and there's hundreds of them, yeah. most of them either participated in slavery or proved it outright. Right, and that, so I, and and that's really why I want to touch on the black church because, of course, the black church didn't own the slaves. Mm-hmm. And if you, when I think about ownership today, right, and um and just like the, these discussions that are happening, you have different different groups speaking on the importance of like minority ownership. When I look at the black church. The black church is something that we do own. And it, there is a, like a long history about it, right? So like when you look at, so like, um, so we actually, surprisingly enough, right? In Philadelphia, it's apparently the oldest independent African-American denomination is, and I'm reading this now, um, called the African-American Episcopal Church. You probably know about this more than me. It's I'm a, not sure if it's older than AME, African Methodist Episcopal. Well, this and this is just research I've done. I got, but uh-huh. but, uh, but it, it supposedly was started in 1794. And look, mm-hmm. my, my my point in that is really more so to just touch on the fact that this is something that's like grown with time. So like mm-hmm. when you look at um like uh even in the times of Jim Crow, many many of the leaders in the Black Church had leadership positions while being subservient in working society. Uh, to some degree no I agree with you early black Christianity especially coming here out of Philadelphia when you look at Absalom Jones you look at Richard Island who protested against white church because they were not allowed to pray in the pulpit with white people they were relegated to the back so they walked out and out of that came the African Methodist Episcopal Church which is the largest black independent Quite and one of the oldest. Yeah. Uh, there's debate there because there's about three different churches who claim to be the oldest. Yeah. Just like we got three different HBCUs in Wilberforce, Cheney, and Lincoln who claim to be the oldest, but but there's they're older. the oldest, right? Yeah. So when you look at that, AME coming out of that protest, had I been back then, I may have been an AME, not for purposes of Jesus, but for purposes that you're fighting against white supremacy. I look at Absalom Jones and him starting. He also became one of the first black independent church denominations. I actually just visited visited their grave uh, not too long ago. So those 
black church leaders, those early black church leaders, I don't take issue with them. My cousin, Frederick Douglass, was actually an AMEZ pastor for a time as well. Right. So back then, the black church was the bastion of organization. Everything came through the black church, the job. You fought against the Klan through the church, the insurance, the burial fund, the civil rights. It came through the church. But in the aftermath of Dr. King's murder 55 years ago, April the 4th, the black church reinvented itself and it re remade itself away from being an instrument of agitation to an instrument of accommodation. Back then, we fought racism head on through the church using the Bible. I take no issue with that. I'll join a church like that tomorrow. You understand? But in the post-Dr. King era, the church has reinvented itself into accommodationist political act action where we're not challenging the government to do right by our people. We're trying to build a relationship with racism. How can an institution of God have a relationship with the devil when the devil is not trying to become godly? Right. And so where's the protest? I'm seeing dinner and coffee and tea in conversation, but where's that Dr. King energy, that spirit that get up and fight back? That's what's missing. And okay, so now we're getting to the meat and potatoes of what I want to get into. So with that being said, right, like I can, and just a level set, um, I consider myself the church, right? Like being a Christian, the church is not necessarily a building. Mm -hmm. It's the people that mm -hmm. make it, right? And um, no, being a part of the church, I know that, um, we care about people, you know, mm -hmm. and we're trying our best to um, enhance our community and uplift our community. And I know for a fact that there are some churches that are doing a lot to actually like benefits the community around them. But what time out? I want to ask you something. Okay. And I want you to continue. Yeah, churches do care. Yeah, churches do do a lot. Yeah, but with the church being the oldest political bulwark in the black community. It's not just about caring about people. It's not just about doing a lot. You have to attack the five major problems that black people have, which are Talk to me. miseducation, mm. mass incarceration, yes. gentrification, police genocide, and access to wealth, also known as economic apartheid. The black church must lend itself directly to challenging those five major problems and or creating the six major institutions that we need. Schools for our children. Hospitals to take care of our people, supermarkets to feed our people, manufacturing sector to employ our people, distribution to give them the needs that they want, and the banks to invest in our people. So you must be dealing with one of the five ills, and you must be constructing institutions to address those five things that we need. The black church isn't doing that. And one of the reasons why many black churches isn't doing that, aren't doing it, and again, there's exceptions. Let me give you this. One of the reasons why they're not doing it is because in the year 2000, President George Bush, former President Bush, the son, yeah. he made it possible for churches to qualify for federal funding, faith-based initiative, FBI. And I would dare argue that the black church is metaphorically the new FBI, the new agent, because ever since George Bush made it possible for black churches to qualify for federal funds, they have not been on the front line of any fight. You can't name me a church in any city, in any state in this country that is at the forefront. I didn't say participating. I said leading, galvanizing at the forefront to improve the public schools, at the forefront to change mass incarceration, at the forefront to deal with gentrification and homelessness, at the forefront 
of police genocide at the forefront of economic apartheid. I don't mean I came to the meeting. I don't mean I walked in the march. I mean you are galvanizing at the front like an Absalom Jones or Richard Island or Dr. King or El Haj Malik El Shabazz. And when I say church, I'm not singling out Christianity. I want to be clear yeah. for the viewers and for you. Yeah. When I say church, I'm speaking inclusively of all black religion. That means Muslims too. This is Philadelphia. We have more African-American Sunni Orthodox Muslims than any city in America. And guess what? The mass jids in this city, they're doing next to nothing either about mass incarceration, miseducation, gentrification, police genocide, and access to wealth. So when I say church, this is not a Christian thing. Yeah. I'm talking Jehovah Witnesses. I'm talking even African traditionalists. You understand me? Mm -hmm. We are too passive and docile when it comes to marrying our religious faith in the fight for justice. And see, I think what I love about like you and what, and what you're saying even right now is you, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you hate to see resources not being um, properly allocated. Absolutely. Right? And so like Absolutely. what you're explaining right now is I think what like just, just hitting on the point of, hey, there's money here. There's resources here. There's people here. There's organization. We could take that and better allocate it. When you say the church, you're you're pretty much saying, look, they may be doing something, but from your peer view, and I would agree, it's probably not enough. And there's an opportunity to do more. Absolutely. Uh, agreed. And so it's interesting though, right? Because when putting my, as a member of the church, right? Uh, um, I think there's a, like a perspective of um, prioritizing the faith in itself, right? Because if you think about it, my, as a spiritual leader, my perspective is if I can connect you with God, I may not be the forefront leader of the nonprofit that leads in education, but by um, connecting you with God and connecting you with your full purpose, you now are equipped through that process to then do that for your community. So, so it's, and I, I think, push back no, no, but I, I'm not even, I don't disagree. I'm not justifying that as like okay. the, um, the, like the right approach per se, because I, because that I, has often been the excuse used for why churches don't play a more direct role in the struggle. So you take me, I'm a certified school psychologist. Yes. You're having issues with your son. Yes. They want to label him autistic, LD, ADHD, ED, whatever the case may be. Right. Yes. So I say to you, you say, doc, can you go with me to the meeting? Mm -hmm. I say, you know what? I can't go with you to the meeting. But I'm going to equip you with everything that you can that you will need in order to be successful in the meeting, which I do that because I can't be everywhere at all times. All right. But if you say, hey, we got to protest the government against the way in which black kids are being over identified. I'm in the front of that. I'm forefront in that. You understand me? Yeah. I cannot lead from the back. I cannot say I'm going to tell y'all everything wrong with the American white power structure and then myself not participate in that actual fight to transform the American white power structure. So when the church says... I'm not going to fight, but I'm going to equip my flock so that they can take up that fight. That's somewhat cowardly. You should be equipping them and preparing them. That's important. But what is your role in that fight? Every religious personality in history, I don't care if we deal with Moses, Jesus, Abraham. I don't care if we deal with Muhammad. I don't care if we come into contemporary times and deal with a Mahatma Gandhi, who was a racist, or Dr. King, a Malcolm X, Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Honorable Marcus Garvey. Any leader who professed a faith, if he was sincere in his faith, automatically became politically relevant. Jesus, by virtue of his work, automatically came to the attention of the government. You couldn't keep him out of it because if I'm fighting for people, I have to take on the enemies of my people. Dr. King automatically became relevant. Mahatma Gandhi in India 
automatically became relevant. There's no such thing as I'm a pious man, a pious woman. My life is dedicated to spreading the gospel of Christ and preparing my people for a relationship with the almighty. But my life doesn't matter in the everyday lives of my own people. Show me where that exists in the Bible. Show me where that exists in the Quran. How can you be so in love with God that you're comfortable with your people living in hell? And, and, and honestly, I hear you, right? Because at the same time, like, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot more. I agree. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's a lot more that we could do. And so, like, if we were to get to the, to the tangible, what, because see, what I don't want this to be, right, is a conversation where it's like, we're smiting the church. We're not smiting the church. Yes. I want the church. My issue with the church is not what it does. Yes. It's with what it doesn't do. So there's nothing I'm trying to stop. I love that. Though, I'm right. trying to start them. You understand yeah. me? Down a path towards doing what the community does. So there's nothing I'm trying to stop. I need them to start picking up the baton that Dr. King left. You understand? 55 years, you haven't had a church leader yet step up like Dr. King has done. Man, and what your, your point Mind about Mind you, yeah. we give the black church more money consecutively and consistently than any other institution in America, including the Korean hair care industry, including <laughs> Foot Locker and McDonald's. You follow me? Including the liquor store. Wow. Even with all the money we give to non-African people, the black church still gets the bulk of our disposable income. I read somewhere it's about $8 million nationally every Sunday. Donations to the black church are one of the biggest set-asides for black America. How can we be investing that type of capital into an institution that doesn't hire nobody? In Philadelphia, we got mega churches all over. Everywhere you go in black America, you got medium-sized, small, big churches. Almost none of them employ anybody. How are you taking in that type of money? How are you charging your uh, followers to be responsible for paying the mortgage on this multi-million dollar prayer house, the, 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 the relevance of which we have to talk about when you ain't got schools and hospitals that you control, but you got a multi-million dollar prayer house and the only thing you do inside of it is worship, but you don't employ nobody. You're not training nobody. You're not really saving nobody from their everyday issues. You might be saving their soul, but you're not saving their life on earth. What good is a multi-million dollar prayer house if nobody's making money off of it except the white bank? Right. These are the contradictions that the black church has to address. Listen, I want to join a church because I think it's important that people see that I'm not anti-religion, although I say it all the time. I want to join a masjid. I want to be a member of every black religion we got as long as there's not a white Jesus hanging up. Do you understand? <laughs> we'll get to that. But they got to be socially conscious and politically active. If there was a church in Philly right now that did the work of a Richard Allen on the Absalom Jones, I'll be there now. If there was a masjid that did the work of a Malcolm X, I would be there right now. You understand me? Yes. I, I don't have a problem with none of the religions. Yeah. I have a problem with the contradiction and the hypocrisy. How do you juxtapose all this money and all these followers and so little measurable progress for your race? Man, and to be honest, like being a part of the church, it's it's interesting because what you what you I think if you took, like, let's say we hand selected 10 pastors or 10 ch church mm -hmm. leaders from this area, I think they'd all agree with you, right? Mm -hmm. I think they all agree that, hey, it's, we, there's, a, there's a need to do these things. But, of course, you know, tradition is something that's hard to break out of. And granted, 
if you think about the tradition of the black church, it's actually... Be careful with that argument because yeah. the slave master would have also said tradition is the hard thing to break out of and so the slaves just need to be forget, content. Forget, for forget, forget, forget about the tradition per se. I guess I, what I'm saying is I know for a fact that like the what you're speaking on, the issues you're speaking on resolving are issues that the church wants to and is working to resolve. Are you sure they're working to resolve? Well, and see, and that's the thing. So it, I think it, it, it comes back to like what's prioritized, right? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the equipping of like... Um, spiritual um, teachings and, and, and things like that are like what's prioritized. But let's say, let's say today we, um, you become the leader of a church that has huge resources. Mm-hmm. And um, what would, how would you allocate those funds? Because honestly, I, if, if I think if you suggest great things, I don't see why organizations, you know, you see, you see where I'm going. I don't see mm-hmm. why organizations wouldn't follow through with them. The problem with so many black churches is that they have already aligned themselves with a European controlled income stream that doesn't have the black community as its priority. So if I'm a black church in Philadelphia, my church has already gotten a grant from my city councilman, my mayor, my governor, a grant from Bill Gates, a grant from the Rockefellers. I've already aligned myself with an agenda that's anti-African. Could I eliminate the relationship? I could. The problem is I need this money. I'm now used to this money. I'm dependent on this money, which is why I take issue when the black church says we don't get involved in politics. You're an absolute lie. Where is the first stop a mayoral candidate makes on his campaign trail? What's the first stop a U.S. senator candidate, a uh, U.S. uh, uh, House of Representatives candidate, a state rep, a state senator, a alder woman, an alderman, a council person? The first place they go to get votes is where? The black church. So if you're not into politics, why is your pulpit safe for every lying candidate in your city to come up there and bombast their so-called agenda that they know they're never going to carry out? If you are not political, stop endorsing political candidates. Stop giving them your microphone on Sunday because they're not delivering anything to black people after they win. And the money that you use, you can't use it for the good of black people anyway, because another problem with the black church and the grant money they get it handcuffs you to a multicultural agenda. So every time you hear black religious leaders talk, they're always talking about everybody. We're multicultural, all poor people, all non-whites. We're for everybody. We don't see color. That's a problem. You know why? Because for all the holiness that black religion preaches, they're not holy at all. I don't mean H-O-L-Y. I mean W-H-O-L-E, whole. Because in order for the church to be whole, I have to be able to talk about economic problems at the church. I have to be able to talk about issues of violence and crime at the church. I have to be able to talk about political problems and medical problems and educational problems. But in the black church, so often you're told outright, and I've been in these meetings, we can't discuss that here. Why not? Are you not concerned with the black community? Why can't we talk about police brutality? Why can't we talk about the economic exploitation by Koreans and Arabs and everybody else? Why can't we talk about the political neglect of our elected officials? This is the place of God. We pray. We don't get involved in that. And that's why we're finishing dead last because guess what? Everybody else's house of worship, it's whole. It's truly holy. Not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-E-L-Y. It's holy because after they pray to their God, the European Jews, they talk about how to get that money how to look out for themselves politically. When the Arabs out there worshiping Allah, they can talk about how to get some more money in the black community. 
When the East Indians and the Latinos are done praying, they can stay right in their house of worship and talk about their political agenda, their economic agenda, their social agenda. Black people can't do that. We're the only people in America that have to go one place to pray and somewhere else to solve our problems. Well, okay, and I hear that. But I do also know that there is some churches that... Um, but you keep talking about some. When yeah, are we going to yeah. systematize it, brother? Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I know some. Yeah. I know some. Yeah. And I but when are we going to systematize it because the, the the exception doesn't negate the rule? No, right. And I, I guess what I, the, I, didn't, I didn't want to necessarily highlight the, the, the some of the, the, the few of the churches that are doing a good job. I, what I really wanted to say is in for those churches that aren't necessarily relying on, let's say, um, government funding to run their church, which I actually wasn't even aware of. To be honest, mm -hmm. I didn't know that happened. Mm -hmm. But like, um, for let's say a church that's like running straight on like um, tithes and, and donations, mm -hmm. right? And it's a black church. How should that church restructure itself so that it could better serve the community? Three things every church should have. Okay. A bank. If not a bank outright, start a credit union. You can start a credit union with $250,000. Provide access to capital. So black people can grow their own businesses. As you know, we're living at a time where we are witnessing the genocide and extinction of the nine to five 40 hour job. There's going to be no jobs in America. You're going to have to make one. We're going to have to go into business for ourselves. The black bank needs to be empowering black people to start their own businesses. If you are not talking about economic empowerment, don't talk to me about God. Because the crime in our community, the devil's work is being carried out by unemployed black men. The devil's work is being carried out by unemployed black women. The devil's work is being carried out by unemployed black youth. So if you care about limiting the spread of evil, you have to economically empower people because contrary to popular belief, money is not the root of all evil. Not having no damn money is the root of all evil. When you walk out of here today, you're not scared of millionaires. You're worrying about little Mike, Mike, and Tay-Tay who ain't got no way to eat and whether they're going to have to ski mask and pull a gun out on you because the black church isn't doing anything to give them an opportunity to earn a decent livable wage. Where's the economic empowerment? That's one. Number two, school. Every black church should have a school and that school should be non-denominational. Here's another issue I have with black religion. And again, when I say church, I'm talking Muslims too. When they do happen to open up a learning center, because we have very few real schools ran by black religion in the country, which is unacceptable because most educators are aligned with the religion. Mm. Okay. There's very few non-religious educators. So where the school's at, right? But a big issue I take is the selfishness of black religion that says we're going to open up a school. But if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, your child can't come. If you don't accept Muhammad Ibn Abdullah as the last messenger of God, your child can't come. That's selfish. During slavery, are they didn't schools, care. Are, are religious schools doing them? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yes. Cool. Yes. And they can. But not they, all of them. Of course. Not all of them, okay, but okay, you yeah. can exclude children based on religious affiliation. Religious schools are the most powerful. I did not know that. But the most, absolutely. Okay. And so the issue I have is, so what? They don't believe in your religion as long as they respect it. Let them come and get that education. Imagine if we was on a plantation and Queen Mother Harriet Tubman showed up. And said, wait, if you're not Christian, you ain't coming on my Underground Railroad. There was Muslims who was enslaved. You understand? There was African traditionalists who was enslaved. Harriet Tubman didn't say that. She fought for black people. We cannot let the religion supersede the racial agenda, which I think is one of our weaknesses as a people. We're the only people who put religion in front of the race. God made you black. You chose Christianity.
God chose you to be an African. The only thing you belong to that you cannot choose. There's Christians who stop being Christian every day. There's Muslims who stop being Muslim every day. There's Jehovah Witnesses who stop being Jehovah Witnesses every day. There's Methodists and Episcopalians who stop being Methodists and Episcopalian every day. But guess what you can never change? Being black. Being black. And who made you black? God. So what is more divine, the religion or the race? It's the race. I'm older than Jesus. I'm older than Muhammad. I'm older than Abraham. I'm older than Noah. When I existed, they wasn't even born. I'm older than every person you can name in either one of them books. So why would you dare limit me to that? I respect them all. But don't you dare tell me that my spirituality begins with that. My people were worshiping, were worshiping God before Jesus' grandmother was born. How dare you limit me to a religion? I respect your right to do that. The point that I'm getting at. Why are religions so chauvinistic and dictatorial with how people establish their relationship with supreme consciousness? You understand me? Mm. Give people the right to build their relationship with God. And my issue with religion is sometimes it can become so constraining that it suffocates the spiritual life out of the, out of the person seeking the salvation. Man, is it, so you touch Again, the issue ain't religion. Yeah. But have some flexibility in there because every religious denomination was born of a what? A protest of the pre-existing standard way of worshiping God. Every denomination grew out of a what? Protest of the previous denomination. So if we know religion has this history of evolving because people said, this ain't the only way to do it. This ain't the only way to do it. This ain't the only way to do it. Why don't we allow a, bit, a little bit of room up there? And if nothing else, allow a safe space for race and culture, race and culture within the religion. Man, so you're touching on a lot right now, and it's um, I'm trying to figure out where to go because okay, for for starters, um, it's I'm 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 not gonna lie to you right now. I'm a little like um, I'm struggling with some thoughts because on one end, um, there's the fact that as a church leader right now, um, I don't I may not necessarily have the resources to be excellent everywhere. Understood. You see what I'm saying? Understood. Like um, we have resources. Let's say we have resources. I can't be at an A plus in in every department, understood, education, understood. finance. I'm a I'm an entrepreneur as, as well. I understand that in order to be excellent, there's a need for some degree of focus, right? So then, let's say if I'm if if I'm a church leader, and I can um, empower my members to then be excellent in those areas, and there's that there's that side of it, right? And then there is the there is the blatant. Uh, view of the, the church can do more, but I think even as like, as a church, I'm not gonna lie, I'm I'm still a little confused as to that because is it realistic to expect the church to open a bank to um you, to to uh open to 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 start a bank to be excellent in the education system and to be excellent um with socio political issues as well? I don't I don't know if that's Doable, you know. And, and let me let me push back on right on that point. Yeah. of the economics. Okay, Philadelphia leads the nation in gentrification. More black people are being put on the street out of their homes in Philadelphia than anywhere in the country. Philadelphia also has some of the largest mega churches in the country. Guess where the money that those mega churches take from poor black people? Guess who's holding it for them? The white banks of Philadelphia. Guess who's giving these white racist developers the loan money they need to come into a North Philadelphia, a Southwest Philadelphia, and transform an urban ghetto into a white paradise for millionaires? 
Guess who they're getting the money from? The same white bank that these mega churches are holding their money in. What is the point you're making? The point that I'm making, this is how hypocritical the black church is. The money that these white banks are loaning to these white developers to transform slums into private gated communities is being paid for by the black church. Your white Jesus money, your black Jesus money is being taken by your pastor put in a white bank and a white bank is taking your black Jesus dollar and giving it to racist white men to build you and push you out of your neighborhood. If that is not a contradiction, what is? You're telling me grandma been donating to the church fund for 50 years. Grandma is a retired teacher. Grandma bought her home 30 years ago, but grandma cannot afford the increase in property tax. And let alone grandma was forced to sell her house or it was taken back by the city for failure to pay taxes. And guess who was responsible for grandma being priced out her own home, her own church, and her own money that was given to the white developer to put her on the street. If the black church don't start opening up banks, then don't call it a church, call it a devil's den. But you don't take black people's money and give it to white banks so they can give it to white developers to push black people on the street. But let me hear, let me tell you what I hear when I, when, when I hear that, right? Mm -hmm. I hear that we just need black banks. You know, or like you see what I'm saying? Oh, we need, and with that specific example, right? Because let's say, let's say, just, but there's few larger deposits made in black America than the church. So when you say black banks, who should be building them? The people most likely to handle big amounts of money. Who handles more money than the black church? Nobody gets more money than the black church on the weekend. That Eagles game, they won't get more money than what we gave to the black church today. So why should the black church not be responsibility for not be responsible for economic salvation? And back and that's back to the point of like like I said, you you cannot you do not like seeing resources misused, and you're basically what you're saying is look more used to the betterment of your oppressor. Listen, these same banks that won't give you a loan for your business won't give you a loan for your home with your own black church deposit. This is black money they holding. You're telling me you got millions of dollars of black people's money in the name of a church and I can't tap into none of that to build a business? But you'll take my black church money and give it to a white out-of-town racist to come into a ghetto street and buy up 20 city blocks and turn them into multi-million dollar houses? And none of the black people whose money you're using to finance that white man can put used to it for themselves. You know, and and see what I love about this just right now is I think that we have a we have a potential answer to a problem. Tell me if I'm wrong, but let's say you are a church who has a predominantly black congregation, maybe bank black. That's not enough, brother. We have to be institution owners. We, you, you just but, no, but, but but if I'm banking black, I'm 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 banking with a an, a black institution owner. But here's the problem with banking black, and we do have black banks, correct? Yeah. But guess what? One of the issues we're having with the black banks, most black banks are operating under a definition of fifty one percent black ownership. You see that? So if you're banking at a bank that's fifty one percent black ownership, so it's called black. The other forty nine percent is white. Who really own the power? That white man got more power than all 51% of them Negroes put together. That ain't no black bank. Well, then that's ain't a white a, bank. Exactly. So then that's not a black bank. So let the black church open up their own bank. Did you know we mm. used to have them all over the country? Ran by the black church. Ran by the black. Who you think opened up the first black hospitals? 
the black church, the first black schools, the black church, Queen Mother Harriet Tubman, a member of a black church. She built a home, a home for the uh, homeless blacks. She built a hospital. She built the farm. This woman allegedly was illiterate, no formal education. Queen Mother Harriet Tubman built the church, excuse me, built the farm, built the hospital and built the home. Because when we when our elders got old during slavery, they would simply turn them out on the streets to die. How can Harriet Tubman build all three of those while working as a nurse, a spy and a scout in the Civil War and being the most significant mm. contributor to the Underground Railroad? What excuses do we got? To, to, um, to whom How can you given? have all that money and all that members? Two of the most important resources any institution can have. People and profit. The black church got both. Yeah. Show me the measurable gains. Yeah. See, my issue with the black church, it takes three things from black people that we can't afford to waste. Too much of our time. Bible study, choir, church. I ain't got an issue with that. If you were reciprocating, you take our time. You damn sure take our money. And then you take our hope and our energy. Mm. And then with all this money and people power you got, you got the audacity to tell us that we can't do nothing about our situation. It's in God's hands. Well, if it's in God's hands, stop collecting money then. If you can't affect black America, don't take another donation. Mm. Make up your mind. You're either going to weaponize that money to save us because the white man is damn sure using those bank deposits, those black church bank deposits, they damn sure weaponizing our own money against us in the gentrification war. You know, honestly, I think what you, yeah, I, I, I hear you. And I think like when it, it really What did Dr. King say? What good is fighting for the right for a black man to have a burger at the lunch counter if he can't even afford it? Mm. Half the black men in America are unemployed. Why, brother? They can't find work. So you mean to tell me you got churches with millions of dollars and collectively there's no city whose church deposits don't number in the tens of millions. No city, right? How can you not be putting black men to work? The, the unemployment and underemployment of black men is one of the least, leading contributors to the destruction of the black family. You want to save the black family? Get these men jobs. Why do you think so few black men go to church? I just saw an article the other day. Black men are leaving church. Yeah. Black men are. You yeah. know why? Because there's no opportunity in here for me. Get me a job. I'll come to church every day. But don't expect me to come here and pray and act like everything is everything. And I got to go home and ski mask up to feed my babies because the black church is no longer a place of economic empowerment. Wow. You know what? Honestly, like um, I, I do hear you, though. It, like I think it comes down to to whom much is given, much is required. Bingo. You know what I mean? Bingo. And, and at the end of the day, um, I think many churches may justify the use of funds as running like the current system that's in place. But what you're no, but what you're doing is if you ain't got no money left over to do nothing except pay bills for that church, get you a smaller church. Yeah. Sell it the hell off. Because so many of these mega churches are located in the middle of black slums. So you sucking all the money out of the community just so you can brag about your multi-million dollar prayer house. Yeah. No, and, and honestly, there is like um I think I think there's some big takeaways here. I think mm -hmm. one, if you're if you're a leader with power to um decide on how these resources are distributed you have you should be aware of the fact that you have a heavy responsibility of understanding um where and how those funds should be allocated to your point if we're if we are like using people's time taking people's hope we're not taking it but you, you, you see what i'm saying and their um resources 
that comes with responsibility and efficacy is what you're speaking on. Yes, Being effective with like what you're doing, consistently challenging the practices. Maybe what worked in Martin Luther King's time is not relevant to today. Maybe they were doing it better back then, but it's always worth re kind of rethinking things like that, taking that perspective. And if you are a Christian who's a member of a church, you should be aware of these things and, and, and try to find the organizations that are doing a good job mm -hmm. with connecting with 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 allocating their resources because because mm -hmm. because I do know many and I think that's part of the reason why when you say certain things I'm like oh I didn't even realize that was happening because mm -hmm. I think I'm plugged into the organizations that are trying their best to best okay. allocate okay. things okay. but I know that it is happening you know what I mean like mm -hmm. like um and so I so I definitely hear I what you're saying I know some no, churches but what we can't do yeah is use the churches that are doing the right thing as a distraction away from the need for radical transformation by the churches who are doing the wrong thing. Yeah. For example, I'm a school psychologist here in Philadelphia, right? This is America's sixth largest school district. When I talk about failing schools, when I talk about white racist teachers, when I talk about the over-identification of black kids as reading and math disabled and intellectually disabled and the over-medicalization of our children, you know what the first thing the superintendent is going to do? Mm. A regional superintendent is going to do? They're going to talk about the high-achieving schools. They're going to distract from this serious conversation and start talking about what about the fact that we got girls high in Central and Bodine and these are some of the best high schools in America. That might be good, but most of our children are not ever going to go to girls high, Central and Bodine. So what are you going to do about the rest of these schools? So although it's okay to make sure we keep the conversation balanced by acknowledging there are progressive black churches out there, don't use it as a distraction away from the need for radical transformation inside the churches that are not doing the right thing. Dr. King said, the true measure of a man is not where he stands at the times of convenience, but at the times of war and at times when people are in disagreement, at times of political strife and controversy and upheaval. Dr. King said that if a man don't have a reason for which he's willing to die, he ain't fit to live. Mm. Dr. King was murdered, why? Not because he had a dream, not for integration. Dr. King was murdered because he was on his way to D.C. to lead a breadbasket campaign. He was going to take poor black, poor white, poor everybody. They was going to go to the nation's capital. Nobody was leaving until everybody had a home and a job. A home and a job. America said, if we let him come here, he will embarrass this country so badly that nobody will ever look at us as the same. Remember, America has this superficial, hypocritical image of being the moral police of the planet, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How are you going to let Dr. King come to your front lawn with every poor person he can find of every color. Nobody's leaving D.C. without a home and a job. Dr. King was on the verge of economic revolution. What good is sitting at the counter if you can't afford to pay for the meal? They murdered Dr. King because they couldn't afford to have that economic revolution take place. The black church should be picking up where Dr. King left off. But the reason why so many churches will not be picking up where Dr. King left off is we know that your average pastor did not open that church because he wanted to be a beacon of progress for the black community. He opened that church for reasons of ego and economics. And this is why I'm very, very circumspect mm. before mm. I put faith in a pastor or a politician, because both of them are the same person masquerading under two different costumes. Most are economic opportunists, megalomaniacal egotists, who simply want that church so they can brag about having that church. They need to feed their ego. And the quickest way for a black man to feed his ego and get some money 
is to start a church. So too many people are mm. going into the clergy not to serve our people, but to serve themselves. Mm, mm, mm. You talking them? You talk? I'm right, I'm right with you. I'm right with you. What it, there needs to be a constant fight against toxic religions, Absolutely. toxic faiths, Absolutely. and we can't. We as a people need to kind of like be aware of like that this is happening and do our best to stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. So then, also, so outside of that, there is um, like the whole Jesus in general, right? Like when I think about Jesus, I think it aligns with what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Like Jesus was somebody who actually took care of the tangible needs of the community at Absolutely. that time. If, if somebody were blind, he came through, you can see now. Absolutely. If somebody was, um, you know- If they was hungry, he fed every one of them. Exactly. And now we have um, like the, the call to walk in those footsteps, right? As now, specifically in the context of African-Americans, um, we you we, we spoke on it already. We see pictures of artists depicting Jesus as like a white guy with blue eyes. It, it, to be honest, my personal perspective is I don't necessarily care what he looks like. You must care if you care about the truth. Don't call yourself a man of cloth if you don't care about truth. Because if we care about truth, we care about the color of Jesus. Which way you want this? No, no. Well, so okay, I do think I do think that art matters, right? Because it, no, the truth matters. Well, so but will we will we Does ever really get down truth? to it though? Because you oh, know, absolutely, we know what Jesus looked like. Talk to every about, statue, okay. every coin, every painting of Jesus the Christ was blue, black, purple until the rise of racism and the Europeans started going around the world systematically stealing. All of the original statues and images of Christ and replacing them with Caucasians. Leonardo da Vinci painted the Last Supper in 1482. Was that a coincidence? Uh Uh-uh. Because Columbus set sail when? In 1492. And what was the greatest weapon used in order to enslave African people? It was the white Jesus. The white Jesus was Columbus' greatest weapon. And it's still the greatest weapon. I I knew a brother in Jamaica. I met him in Florida. I was speaking at the Marcus Garvey Technical School of Jamaica's fundraiser. He said, Dr. Umar, we got a white church. Excuse me. We have a black church with a white Jesus in Jamaica. This is one of the blackest islands. This is the land of the Honorable Marcus Garvey. Greatest Pan-Africanist of all time. He said he went out and got a black Jesus painted. Much better than the cracker Christ. His pastor told him, we will never take this down. This is how Jesus looked. Blue, black, purple people content on having Leonardo da Vinci's uncle (laughs) masquerading as their savior. If your deity looks like your enemy, if you are content to let your deity look like your enemy, you deserve to be a slave. Mm. You deserve to be a slave. Look, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Judah was the bluest, blackest of the twelve. They were known for their nappy hair and purple skin. His mother hid him in Kemet, Egypt. Name Egypt by the Greeks. It means land of the blacks. There's no way you're going to hide a, a white, blonde hair, blue-eyed child in a country of blue, black, purple African people. Let's keep on going. The title Christ, which comes from an African word, karas, which speaks to the spirit that rises within. In ancient Africa, no one would have been given the title Christ if your skin was not kissed of the sun. In those days, I would be too light to be a savior because back then, divinity was black. Asaru 
one of the manifestations of God consciousness was called Lord of the perfect black. Blackness was divinity. That's why every religious teacher was black and nappy. Nobody looked like white with blonde hair and blue eyes. That's a recent creation of the pale man. The question is, why are black churches so content with having a false image of Jesus that they know is false in their church instead of a real historical depiction? And by the way, the oldest original painting of Christ right now, I believe it's in the museum in Egypt. It's the oldest one. And guess what? Everybody blue, black, purple. And I believe it was drawn from life. Everybody was blue, black, purple, including Jesus. Undeniably black. Undeniably black, blue, black, purple. And when you go to the Falashas, the original Hebrews of Ethiopia, they still look the same way. Blue, black, purple with the nappy hair. Some of them was taken to Israel and they're fighting against war crimes, or should I say crimes against humanity because the racist white European Jewish Israeli government is oppressing them. So we know what Jesus looked like. Why the church okay? Why is the black church okay not seeing their Lord and Savior represented as he was? You know, and it's interesting, right? Like I do, I, I hear everything that you're saying. And to be honest, like... um. So, so my parents are from um, Ghana and West Africa, right? Okay. And I found that I've, I've, I have a strong sense of like knowing, look, we, we are kings, we're queens, and I don't question my like um, quality as a human. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't have like, oh, well, at least I don't believe I have a, like a sense of self hate. Okay. So when I, when I, so whether Jesus was black or Jesus was white, there is truth. And, the, and, and if the, no, no, but hear me, I, I know where you think I'm going, but I'm not going there. This is the problem no, with no, religion. No, no, but when it comes to the truth of uh, who we are as black people, <laughs> y'all want to dismiss it. We're going to dismiss the truth of Jesus being black. No. And we will be comfortable with the white man on the wall. Then don't call your man, don't call yourself a man of God. Because if the picture of Jesus, the foundation of your religion, if it's okay for that to be a lie, how many more lies well, will be well, told? So let, let, let me start here. Let me start here. I think, right? So, so hear me out. The truth matters. The truth matters, and right? if the truth matters, why don't we depict Jesus in his original color? We should. We should. And I, and I don't disagree there. And I do think that like pictures of Jesus being white, especially with that most likely not being the truth, being something that like has had a negative effect on specifically the black community. And it ain't just the Christians. The Muslims do the same thing. We know for a fact Muhammad Ibn Abdullah was blue, black, purple. There was a, a Arab, an African Arabian scholar who did the history of Muhammad Ibn Abdullah's family. He proved beyond a shadow of a doubt. This man was lived back then. He proved in a shadow of doubt that Muhammad Ibn Abdullah was blue, black, purple. But go talk that to the Muslims. They'll reject it. You know why? Because black religion is colorblind. And as long as you are colorblind, you can't see the oppression of your own black people. Wow. Well, no. And, and, and look. And mm. from an education, I'm going to take it to psychology and education now. Let me tell you why white Jesus is so dangerous in a black church. Okay. Your brain is a symbol generating and associating organism. Every memory in your mind is stored as a symbol. Every one. If you take your beautiful African son or daughter to church and they see a white image of God, Savior, every Sunday, we're praying to God is white, blonde hair, blue eyes. Don't you know, by the time that kid is five or six years old, he's going to associate whiteness with divinity. And it makes it easy for that child 
to be docile and weak in the face of police brutality, docile and weak in the face of gentrification, docile and weak in the face of second class citizenship. And do you know why? If God is white, all white people must in some way be godly. And so if white people control Africa and if white people control the courts and if white people control the medical system and if white people are in control of this, that and every system on earth, could this possibly be the decree of the most high? Because if God is white, doesn't it make sense that white people are in control of us? And if God is white, by contraindication, the blackness is automatically the devil. My point is, most black children are taught self-hate at a black church in a black community. So I often caution black people, don't be so quick to blame the white teacher in public school for your child hating themselves. Their self-hate didn't start in public school. Their self-hate started at a black Sunday school. You know, and I hear you, you know, and I, and I, and I truly hear you. And, and, and I, I, the point I'm trying to make more so is not, is not necessarily rooted in like, um, I, I, we, I agree that there's been extremely negative effects with Jesus being like um, depicted as white. I think, um, if you okay with me praying to a white Jesus, you damn sure okay with me being dominated by a white man. If your consciousness can allow me to pray in your church to a white image of Jesus, you damn sure comfortable with me being dominated by white people. Right. Until we take the slave out of us, we'll never be able to end slavery in our real world. And the problem with black religion is you're dealing with issues of the soul. And if an institution responsible for dealing with issues of the soul is content with that soul being entrapped and encapsulated inside a concept of white divinity, then that black church just became an agent of the devil. Right. No, and and, and just to be clear, I don't think Jesus was white. It's, it's, it's nothing to think about. No, I no. need you to know my brother that he was blue, black, purple. Right. Know it. I, Go to Egypt. Look at the pictures of him. But when and it, look at the paintings. Look at the even in the Bible it says what he had feet like burnt brass and hair like lamb's wool. The only person on earth with hair like this is Christ. Christ was an African. And and and, and, and I'm right with you. I guess all I'm just saying is like when you look at the 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 purpose of Christ, mm -hmm. his, his 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 skin doesn't matter. As, ah! Why don't the truth matter? Here we go again. Why don't okay. you uh, uh, okay. stop dismissing the divinity of blackness? No, I'm not dismissing it because, okay. You know what white folks are going through right now? Yeah. 50% of the states in this country have a zero white population growth. More white people are dying than being born in 25 states. This was reported by the AP. Mm. You know why they're dying off? Because they ain't got this. This melanin is the God gene. This is why black people can pray and connect to God much deeper and much longer than anybody else because we are the chosen people. Being chosen ain't got nothing to do with whether you got a Bible or a Quran. Being chosen is being the descendant of the original man and woman God put on the fertile crescent of Naval civilization in Africa. And the reason why so many white women are sleeping with black men to produce these kids is subconsciously the first law of reproduction is survival. The first law of existence is survival. So they're sleeping with black men trying to get some of our melanin to help their species survive. This is why we made it through slavery. 
This is our God gene. This melanin is the spiritual molecule. This is what allows you to catch that Holy Ghost. This is what allows you to talk to your ancestors. Don't dismiss this. This is not color. This is power. Wow. And to be honest, like that that perspective on being black, I think is is one that, especially with our with you know our community having self hate, one that can definitely bring our perspective up as a group. And and mm -hmm. I do think that um, it's important. But I also think and 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 I don't I didn't want to take the conversation here, but I just want to say this real quick. Um, I do think it might be a, it, 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 there's potential for danger there a little bit, right? Go ahead. Because let's think about this, right? Mm -hmm. So like. If um if we don't like the fact that white people have like said they're the superior race mm -hmm. for for years and years, and then I did not argue racial superiority. Oh, okay, okay. So, I did not argue. Okay, so, I have no need for a white girl to think she's less than my daughter. Okay, I have no need for an Arab child to see me as superior. As African people, our culture does not preach superiority. I do not believe in racial superiority. Do right. you understand? But I do believe in the truth. And I do know that God chose my people through which to send every savior he's ever sent to this planet. You can't name one who didn't look like me. Buddha was an African. Krishna was an African. There's no savior that walked this earth in ancient times who wasn't kissed of the sun. Right. The world needs to know that truth. So then here's the thing, right? So mm -hmm. let's get to it, right? So knowing that truth, right? It's something that's not the easiest thing to do, right? Like most people like are very kind of like, um, there's so much information, right? Mm -hmm. If I go online, like just like how you're passionate about Jesus being black, there's someone else who's like, no, Dr. Umar is wrong. Jesus was and white. And what evidence they got no. that Jesus was so, white. So so I guess my the, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get to is, um, how would you recommend for somebody to pursue the truth of their spirituality in today's day so that it sticks. Because I don't want this conversation to be one of entertainment that doesn't actually change people's perspective in a positive way. You know what I mean? Because it, like, you see what I'm saying? Because the, look, if, if Jesus was black and that's the truth, I want us to know that. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to know. You see what I'm saying? Like, like everybody's saying, like everybody's just as passionate. There's, there's somebody in every group that's just as passionate. Understood. Passion is one thing. Truth is something else. Right. The difference between our passion and everybody else's is ours is backed up on truth. Do you realize that the black man and woman was on this planet all by ourselves for over 100,000 years before anybody else evolved from our seed? We was on the earth. The earth was ours. We gave birth to the white man, the Arab, the Latino, the East Indian, the Chinese. We gave birth to them. This was our planet. And I totally believe this until the black man and black woman rediscover their true divinity and purpose, not superficial, not just calling myself a Christian, but embodying it in its truest essence, not just calling myself a Muslim, but embodying it in its truest essence, not just calling myself an African traditional spiritualist, but embodying, embodying it, this planet, this planet will never go back to being what God intended it to be. Because I absolutely believe in my heart, we are the only people who can rule this planet with justice. How do I know this? Because we did it already. 
When ancient Kemet ruled this earth, when the Nile Valley cultures of East Africa ruled this earth, we did it with justice. The Greeks and the Romans came to Africa begging to learn, begging to study, begging to sit at the feet of our kings and queens and, 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 and scholars and priests. You understand? We ran the world with justice. White man can't run the world with justice. He runs it with brutality. The Chinese ain't gonna be able to run the world with justice. He's gonna run the world with brutality. The Arab can't run the world with justice. He's gonna run the world with brutality. The only people who can rule this planet in righteousness is the black man and black woman. The point that I'm making, if the black church is too insecure, too afraid, or too unconcerned about marrying divinity to blackness, then the black church is useless. Because if you want to kick off the slave energy that every black boy and girl in America has, if you want to rip out that servitude that is so deeply planted and ingrained in the unconscious of black people, you have to marry blackness to divinity. You got to teach those boys you are God, not the supreme consciousness, but a manifestation of it. You got to tell those black girls you are God, not the supreme essence, but a manifestation of it. Why do you think black women wear so much fake hair? Why do you think we spend more money on hair and beauty than all other people put together? The first woman ever created on earth is imitating the youngest woman ever created on earth and you're spending 30 billion dollars and catching cancer and fibroid tumors just to look like a european you know why because the black church separated blackness from divinity blackness is divinity and until the black church marries blackness back to divinity we'll never go back to being the gods and goddesses we were intended to be man color matters in the church Jesus's color matters. And until you take this and put it back in that book, that book will be worthless because every black boy and girl needs their melanin activated by the religious institutions. Let them know this is not just a color. This is royalty. Claim it. It doesn't mean you got to think you better than nobody. Yeah, and that's But step into your truth. But let me also say, we can't be so careful about what the white man feels or so careful about what the Arab thinks or so careful about what the European Jew thinks that we don't give our children a true history of black divinity and, and, of because we're so concerned of how it's going to affect everybody else. Since when has anybody been concerned about how what they do affects us? So then how did you get to this point, right? Of mm -hmm. like being able to stand on these statements mm -hmm. knowing that it's, it's true. Because I, look, I'm telling you right now, a majority of my, like the people I know, like, Resonate with this message, want to like believe the, the truth of it, but it's hard to know what the fact and what the fiction of it is. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? How did you get to a point of being able to confidently say Jesus was black? You and your congregation need to take a trip to the Vatican in Rome, the so-called holy city. Let them take you in that basement. And let them show you the artifacts that they stole from ancient Egypt at the time of the Holy Roman Empire. Go look and see what's in the basement of the Vatican. I have a picture at home, an actual photo, and many people have seen it. It's all over the Internet of Pope John Paul II, who's now deceased, I believe, in the basement of the Vatican, praying in, the, in the front of a statue of a black St. Peter. There's other pictures of popes praying at the statue of a black Mary and Jesus. They know we got. They know we got. Why would a black, why would a white pope, the most powerful white religious leader in the world, have everybody praying to a white Jesus upstairs? But when he's by himself, he goes downstairs 
kneels and bows and prays in front of a statue of a black Mary and a black Jesus. Why? Why didn't they destroy them statues? Why is it that you can go to Ireland and see a black Madonna and child? You can go to Rome and see a black Madonna and child. You can go to Russia and see a black Madonna and child. How is it you got all these white churches with black Madonnas and childs that the Pope bows down and prays in front of while he telling you Jesus was blue, black, why he telling you Jesus was well, white skin, pale skin, blue eyes and blonde hair. They know the truth of who we are. The problem is they separated our blackness from our divinity. We the ones. In ancient Egypt, the big nose was beautiful. Big lips was beautiful. Black skin was a blessing. Now look how they even 360 did. Mm. A little black girl look in the mirror. If she blue, black, purple, she thinks she ugly. She don't know she looking at God. Why? Because the black church won't tell her that. Why? Because they need that money from the white man. Right. The hand that pays is the hand that rules. So tangible, like so, so tangible, like um, things. Uh, black like, church need to build black schools and marry our color to our religious consciousness. They are not separate. They are not separate. Yeah, and no, and, and I, even in the Bible, God forbade the Hebrews to mix with any other group. You understand. The royal family yeah. does yeah. not mix their blood. What did the racist uh, queen, before she died, what did she tell her son, Meg, married to Meghan Markle? Her grandson can never, ever claim the throne. He gets none of the privileges of royalty. Are you aware of this? No. Actually. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Meghan Markle. You know who she is. Yeah, she married yeah, the prince, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. The queen said. His grandmother said he can never lay claim to this. You know why? Oh, yeah. I actually did hear about it. Because, because she royalty. Why? She killed her own daughter. Queen Elizabeth was murdered because she was pregnant with an Arab's baby. Royalty don't mix. And the reason I'm against interracial marriage is not because I think the white woman is less than. No. I don't hate nobody. That's not my, my, my ministry ain't hate. My ministry is love. But we royalty. You don't go take the God seed. Take your God seed and give it to a member of our oppressors group. You don't take our God seed and give it to a woman of any other race. We are divine. And if you keep on diluting our divinity, we're going to lose the blessing of the most high because we fail to administer to his law. And one of the first laws is the royal house of God does not mix this seed with anybody else. Mm. So you're touching on a couple of things right now, which, which we could go we could go down that road, but I'm 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 gonna tread lightly. I'm gonna tread lightly. Um, okay, honestly, I think like um, I, I I'm very I'm inspired by your um by your passion and care for our community. I think that our community right now is so um you know so many steps behind. Yes, and fighting against so many systematic things yes. that we need more people who to be to be honest like focus on. Black groups, especially considering that there are churches that are predominantly black. Being that you're predominantly black, you should serve that group that you are serving it within the spiritual capacity. Recently, like in the in the same context of um, just like the importance of community, we did see that um, the five cops in Memphis did you know mm-hmm. kill kill our guy out of Memphis. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I know it's outside of the context of the church conversation, but just out of, mm-hmm. you know, just just trying to kind of like 
touch on that just being that it recently happened. Right. And churches should care about these things. Absolutely. Because I was going to say, it's not outside the context of the church conversation. Because in order to be holy, you must involve yourself in all the problems of the black community. There was once a psychological experiment done by Dr. Philip Zimbardo at Stanford University. He took volunteers and he assigned them to one of two groups. You're going to be an inmate in the prison or you're going to be a guard in the prison. Very popular experiment. You need to look it up. He had to stop the experiment after only a couple of days. You know why? Assigning people as inmates, they took on the personality of prisons. Assigning people as the guards, they took on the personality of an oppressive, oppressive police officer. The purpose of the study was to show the impact of identity, context, circumstance, and status on behavior. Mm. Why am I bringing up the Stanford prison experiment? Those five police who murdered our brother Tyree, rest in peace, condolences to the family. Although they were black, they were operating inside of a white collective consciousness. When they put that uniform on, they identify with the white racist Memphis police department. And although they were black, their entire subconscious mind and operating uh, mechanism that they employed when they stopped that brother was totally white. Am I saying they're not responsible? Hell no. They are totally responsible for what they did. They should get the worst punishment possible for what they did. But my point is, just because they was black changes nothing. That was a, Those were Negro slaves working for a slave master of a white institution, the Memphis Police Department. And one of the worst things you can do is give people who ain't used to having power, power. Whenever you give a powerless person power, they will almost always abuse it. Mm. And that's what you saw right there. Mm. Man, and uh, the only reason why they were fired, and the only reason why they were charged so quickly, and the only reason why the president of the uh, fraternal order of the police is speaking out against them is because they were black. If they were white, they would be home with pay. There would be a two-year investigation. <laughs> we'll never get to the bottom of this for three years later. So they even learned, even though you wear the uniform, Negro, you still don't have the complexion for protection. Man, honestly, yeah, like I, I like I, like I don't even know any like cops. Like I, I know a lot of black cops, but I don't know anybody who's who's moving like that. Like I, that nothing's was most... wrong. Somebody asked me the other day, Doctor Umar, should we be police? Why not? We need to be police. We need to be FBI. We need to be CIA. 100%. Why not to be used against the community, but to bring back to us the information we need to protect ourselves from the police, the CIA, and FBI. So should we be a part of these militaristic movements? Yes, so we can know what the hell is going on. But if you're going to put that uniform on and identify with our slave master, it's best you don't get the job. Did you see the the, um, the Joe Biden in, 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 the, in the black church? Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> he didn't want to be there. He was out of place. He didn't know what he was doing there. And here's my thing. Why did y'all bring this man? to Dr. King's church. Granted, it's the new church across the street, but it's still an extension of Dr. King's church. What has Joe Biden done so great that he deserved to be invited into the temple of the almighty? See, this is when we devalue the, 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 the worth of the black church by bringing devils, you understand, into the house of the Lord so he can be adored and praised and honored for neglecting black people. 
We're going to honor the president for passing an anti-Asian hate bill. But black people have been dying for centuries. No anti-black bill yet. We're going to honor him for passing uh, violence against the Native American bill. When black folks are the victims of more violence in this country's history than all other groups put together. We're going to pass an LGBT transgender bill. But you can't even protect black boys and black girls from being who they are. We're going to bring Ukrainians in, Afghanis in, give them free housing, free medical, SSI check. How the hell are you going to get an SSI check? You're not a citizen. You don't pay taxes. You never paid into SSI. We won't give black people reparations. We got the highest black homelessness rate in the country in 50 years. But instead of giving those resources to the people who built America, we want to give them to the privileged white Ukrainians so they could come to America and look down on black people. Mm. And you brought him to your church? See, how are we going to get respect when we ask to be disrespected? You saw what happened with the uh, white kid who lost his scholarship to a PWI football team. And then Albany State turned around and gave him a full scholarship to a black school when you lost your scholarship to the white school for using the N-word. Now, credit to the president of Albany State. He withdrew it. He said he didn't know. He knew. He just didn't think he wouldn't get the backlash. So he has since rescinded it. And now I'm hearing that another HBCU has stepped up and is now willing to give him a scholarship to go there. Yeah. We keep on begging for disrespect. We keep on asking white people to insult and mistreat us. We're never going to get respect by letting other people walk on us. I'll give you something else. Why is it every time a black person is murdered by the police, the first thing the family of the deceased does is jump up and forgive the killer before he'd been captured, before he'd been charged, before he'd been arraigned, before he'd been convicted, before he'd been sentenced? 99% of our families have forgiven the killer of their child before he even been convicted. You think European Jews out there forgiving Germans? But that doesn't what, make it. Do that, you know? I just, they just found a, a Nazi. They just found one of the secretaries who worked for Adolf Hitler. She's over 100 years old. Do you think the Jews care that she's 100 years old? She's being prosecuted right now. Now let's compare that to Carolyn Bryant, that white woman who lied on Emmett Till. And drove her husband and his friend to Emmett Till's uncle house. Took Emmett Till out. Brutalized, lynched, murdered, castrated that little boy. Guess what? She living her best life free in Kentucky. Now the white woman who worked against the Jews, she about to go to jail. But the white woman who saw the Emmett Till's lynching, she living her best life in Kentucky. And look at the hypocrisy. The U.S. Congress recently passed what? Emmett Till anti-lynching bill. First anti-lynching bill in America's history. Every previous attempt failed to let you know how racist this country is. This is the first one. 403 years. And you just now getting an anti-lynching bill. But here's my question to you. Yeah. This is the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill, right? Mm -hmm. What good is an Emmett Till anti-lynching bill? Today. When the bill can even lead to the arrest of the woman responsible for Emmett Till's murder. How in the hell... Or you're going to have an Emmett Till anti-lynching bill that can't even arrest the woman who got Emmett Till killed. Well, because the, the forgiveness doesn't necessarily uh, uh, mean that Do punishment is... Stop forgiving white folks in public. If you got to forgive them, forgive them in the safety of your bedroom. We have to stop forgiving white people in public because we're sending a dangerous message that black people are okay with oppression. That, I, that's an interesting perspective, and I and I and I do I do hear you though. And, I, and black church got to stop. Forget I don't care if you forgive church, 
But don't you get on that damn microphone. We forgive. Because we no. Yeah, yeah, I guess Stop it, doing that. It isn't that. necessarily something that needs to be like shouted. Okay. Thank you. I it mean, don't need to be articulated in public at all. Because you're what you're doing is you are giving white folks carte blanche privilege to take black life because they know I'm gonna be forgiven the day after I do. When you say that, I'm just thinking about like jurors, right? Because like um the jurors are also swayed by like the public opinion right. to some degree. And if the public opinion is now being calm, if if the public's opinion on the on a matter is being calmed. Because the family has publicized their forgiveness before, you know, being prosecuted, then I can imagine that that may actually have uh, like, an, like an effect on on the situation. Like on on the on the on the situation. There is feminine and masculine in all things. Yeah. So in African culture, we believe in the complementarity of feminine and masculine. Patience, forgiveness, tolerance, empathy. Those are feminine traits. When I say feminine. I don't mean female. You understand me? I mean feminine. Because the womb absorbs. You understand? Mm -hmm. So it's feminine. So any trait that allows you to take it, that's that's feminine. I'm going, we're going to pass, we're going to practice nonviolence. That's feminine. Mm -hmm. It don't mean you're being a woman, you're just exercising feminine aspects. You understand me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The masculine is the defender, the fighter, the agitator, the aggressor. My issue with the black church is there's too much feminine energy and not enough masculine. When do we go after justice? When do we pursue equality? When do we stand up and fight back against police brutality? You understand me? Too much on the tolerance side. And I would argue that I think the black church has reinvented Jesus to be a pacifist. Jesus Christ was not a pacifist. Not at all. You understand me? Not at all. Jesus Christ was not. He was very much aggressive. He challenged the authority. He challenged the elders of the Sanhedrin. Jesus Christ was an alpha male. He wasn't no passive Negro. But the way in which the church preaches Christ today, they emphasize the feminine aspects of Christ and not the masculine aspects of Christ. And do you know why? Because they are afraid. Because if they start talking about the aggressive and masculine aspects of the personality of Christ, people in the pew are going to look at them and say, well, if Jesus challenged racism, if Jesus challenged oppression, why aren't you doing it? So I have to make it look like Jesus would be okay with my cowardly, passive, docile behavior. So I'm not going to talk about Jesus, the fighter. I'm going to talk about Jesus, the tolerator. You talking? No, no, bro, bro, bro. Man, 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 you you touching on so many different things right now. Honestly, like, I, I really, I think that like when we when you talk about like just like that those masculine traits or just like those you know alpha traits, I I do think that that's something that I admire in you, right? You're just your ability to like whatever you believe. You're not saying it passively. You, mm-hmm. You're very bold about your beliefs, and I think that the church could use more of that. In general. And we used to be that. Yeah. If you ever listen or read some of the old, get you a book and they're out there. Black pastors need to get their hands on some of these black sermons from the 1600s, 1650 to 1850. Listen to those. You feel me? Listen to those. Yeah. You feel me? Nothing but courage. Nothing but heart. If we got to die, let us die. 
But God didn't put us here to die on our knees. We're going to die on our feet. You understand me? You talk about churches who will walk outside with guns in their hand and have shootouts with the KKK. That's the black church tradition. Yes, marching has a role. You understand me? Voting has a role. Playing has a role. But what about the alpha side of the black church? Whatever happened to the black pastor as fighter? The black pastor as adjutant? The black pastor as aggressor? The one who got out there and fought for the protection and security and defense of the black community? What happened to that? Stop giving me soft Christ. I want strong Christ. Yeah. No, yeah. Just real quick, I just wanted to maybe like offer up if anybody had any questions. I mean, I just have a simple question, you know, because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we see what's going on outside. We see how real it is, right? And it's like, with everything going on, how are we supposed to move if, you see what I'm saying, we be hating on each other so much, you can't trust nobody, like, what can you do at that point? One of the metaphors from the teachings of Christ, when he said we have to go out and we have to go fishing. For those believers, right? I believe as black people, we have to fish for black people who are serious about salvation, liberty, and justice. Because it ain't all of us. I would argue psychologically, most of us are so damaged that you'll never be able to bring us back to the right path. You understand me? So many black people have invested in white privilege and white supremacy in their position in the white power structure that they never going to fight for the people. They've sold their souls too bad. You understand me? I respect Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson. They've done some good things, but they have also compromised so much. They'll never be the leader that we need them to be. You follow me? So we have to go and find untainted African people in our community, bring them together and organize. Now, even in a conscious community, right? I belong to the conscious community. A lot of us ain't doing no work. It's all conversation. There's no activism. So we got to find black people who care and who care enough to get off their backside and do some work. It's only going to be the few that saved the many. It's always been the few that saved the many. Christianity started with Christ in 12. You see what it is today, the largest religion on the face of the earth. You understand me? So we don't need everybody. Not all the people. We need the right people. But you got to be very careful because whenever you bring a black person into a movement because of our self-hating Willie Lynch, when you disinvite us from the movement after you find out this is not the type of man or woman you need, we will often try to destroy the movement on the way out the door. So with us, it's a double-edged sword because I need you to work with me. But if you don't get your way, you'll try to destroy me on your way out the door. So we're in a very precarious position, but I also believe this. I believe we can win it. I believe we will win it. I believe the white man was created to test your divine consciousness. I believe God sent the white man to earth to force black people to either achieve God consciousness or die trying. They are our tests. They're, they're not going nowhere. Black people are like, well, we waiting for God to get rid of white race. No, God ain't getting rid of the white man. You are. You have to eliminate the racism. You feel me? The white man, white racism is the black racist test to prove that you are truly a devotee of the most high. And we losing right now. We scared of them. We imitating them. We following them. You follow what I'm saying? It's on us to win. But so lately, I've just been trying to, uh, you know, everybody's saying like, man, I got to stop saying that word. You know we have you mean? to. So, so I, I, I want to see where you too. stand on that. I wasn't sure where you stood on that. The N word, <laughs> mind you, we're the only people in the history of America who has ever fought for the right. No other group has fought for the right to use such a pejorative term that has been historically used to disgrace and dehumanize them 
And now we fight for the right to use it as a positive adjective. Chinese have never used that word to refer to each other. Hispanics have never used that word to refer to each other. European Jews have never used that word. Irish have never used that word. Italians have never used that word to refer to each other. Black people are the only people who will fight for the right to use the N-word in order to refer to each other. How do you explain that? Internalized racism. Mm. You can take the slave out of slavery, but until the slave takes the slavery out of himself, he'll never be free. Man, I hear you. Man, I hear you there. I hear you there. I hear you there. So I guess lastly, um, just to close out, I know that like you have a lot of um, initiatives that you're working mm -hmm, towards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Would you say that um, your work with the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy is your primary focus right now? It absolutely is. The way I look at things is I'm in my 40s. We're given about a century to live on this earth, give or take a decade or two. I can't solve all the problems. I got to pick and choose one. I've decided to go with education and mental health. So my contribution to the revolutionary Pan-African nationalist movement, my offering to Almighty is to build a system of independent African schools all over the world so we can begin the process of African racial reconstruction psychologically. Because what I need us to understand, we change nothing until you change the mindset. We change nothing until you change the collective consciousness. We change nothing until you change the way we see each other. A lot of people ask me, why are you starting with the school? Mm -hmm. You should be doing something much bigger than that with the following. Uh-uh. I'm starting at the basics. Because if I don't change the way black children think about themselves, I'll never change the way the black community looks when they become adults. I had some mothers who took issue. They said, I hear that the girls at your school and the teachers at your school, because although FDMG will be initially male, there will be the Anna Douglas and Amy Garvey Princess Academy about five years down the road. You cannot come to my school with a weave, a perm, European hair color, nothing. Happy to be nappy. I have black women, feminists. How dare you dictate how women wear their hair? I'm not dictating how women wear their hair, but in this institution, self-hate will not be validated. Your daughter can wear her hair any kind of way she wants, but she will not wear it as a European. Because the most important job I have for a black girl is to teach her to love herself. The main weapon used against a black woman is European standards of beauty. The main weapon used against a black boy is economic empowerment and his ability to take care of his family. So if you want to help black men, you got to make them breadwinners so they can take care of their family. And if you want to help black women, you got to make them love what they see in the mirror. If a black girl graduates from my school and goes and get a perm the next day, if she graduates from FDMG and goes and get a blind weave the next day, I fail. Because she's supposed to love herself so much that by the time she graduates from there, she don't want to be nothing except what God made her to be. So with the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy, I'm hoping that this will be the beginning of a global movement. I want to die as the first superintendent in world history of a truly pan-Africanist independent school district. So if your child is at FDMG Atlanta, you said, I'm moving to Ghana. We got FDMG in Ghana. You moving to London, England. We got FDMG London. You going to Jamaica. We got FDMG Jamaica, right? So once this first one is up, I want to pop them all over the world. That's going to be my contribution. Under the same Frederick Douglass, Marcus, Marcus Garvey. But the name of the campus will differ. Okay. So if I'm in Atlanta, that might be the Dr. King Bishop Turner campus. If I'm in Ghana, that it will be the Kwame Nkrumah campus, mm, right? Right. right? If, 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 if I'm in um, 
If I'm in uh, South Africa, that'll be the Robert Sabukwe Steve Biko campus. If I'm in Chicago, that's the Ida B. Wells, Fred Hampton, Emmett Till campus. You feel me? And they have to learn the history of all the ancestors for whom that campus is named. Nice. Nice. And then, so then just, just, just. And if all goes well. Yeah. The school should be completely renovated, done by the end of February. We thought we would get it done this month. The only thing left is we got some sensors that got to be repaired on our HVAC. All right. When that's done, we can apply for our uh, certificate of occupancy. We will be having a grand opening for the community so everybody can come and see the school. And we're planning to open school next year, though. September the 3rd, 2024 will be the first day of school. That's the anniversary of Frederick Douglass' escape, his runaway. From slavery in Baltimore, September third. So you you know you you've handed out a couple of lashes out here to a couple yes different sir. people. Yes you know sir. what I mean? Stephen A. Smith caught a couple. Yes you know sir. Shannon Sharp caught a couple. I'm just thinking, who are some people though that like you actually in, today that you you so align with their mission so that others could align with it as well. You know what I mean? Because we yes. we, we spend a lot of time tearing up these you know people who aren't necessarily doing the best job. In mm-hmm. your opinion, who are some people that are doing a good job so that if I had to give out an African man or woman of the millennium. So let's look at these 23 years of the 21st century. Right. Just these 23. Right. Somebody's getting an award for being the shining example of what a black man or woman should be. Yeah. My award is going to Brian Stevenson of the Innocence Project. Mm. The brother who's going around the country finding black people falsely accused and sentenced to death. And he's getting their death sentences overturned. Did you see the movie Without Mercy? Um, Played by oh, Michael, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to watch it. It's about Brian Stevenson. Oh, word. I watched that movie, brother. For the first time, I had to step back. Because when it comes to saving children from school to prison, I would be that person. But this, so yes, I save life. Because if you save that child from school to prison, you're saving their life. But Brian Stevenson is literally, literally freeing them from death row. So I bow to him. You follow what I'm saying? Mm. So if anybody's going to get that award, it will be Brian Stevenson. And I'm going to hope and pray he don't have a snow bunny. Because <laughs> if Brian Stevenson got a snow bunny, I'm taking my damn plaque back. Oh, man. Okay? No snow bunnies. We need black men to love on black women. Why? For black girls. You don't think these little black girls see all these black men running around with non-African women? We are destroying our daughter's self-esteem by constantly parading non-African women in front of their face. We have nothing against other women. We love our own. Only one out of every four black women is going to get married. So if we don't do something about the snow bunny crisis, won't be no black family to be saved. <laughs> man, man, and then that's a and that's a whole another that's a whole another dis- discussion right there in itself. But I, I but I, but of course the, the the black family is the the everything. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes. It's, it's literally where everything starts on. I can't thank you enough, though. Appreciate for taking your time. Appreciate we literally just did this podcast throughout the whole Eagles game. Yes. The Eagles, I don't even know who won. Yes. I don't even know who won. Oh, yeah. One question about, uh, I don't know if you talked about it yet, but um, about Ed Reed and Bethune Cookman. Ed Reed and Bethune Cookman. Firstly, I was disappointed in Deion Sanders for taking that job because it shows that black men care more about money than integrity and the future of our community. Right now, there's a lawsuit by the Asians. They are suing Harvard and the University of North Carolina 
They're saying that the use of race and culture and socioeconomic status in college admissions is discriminating against Asians. They say we're smarter than the blacks. We have higher grades than the blacks. We have higher test scores than the blacks. So by you using race as a factor in admission, you're letting less qualified black people into the universities. The Supreme Court is going to hear this. I believe they're going to overturn it. I believe they're going to overturn the use of affirmative action in college admissions. If they do that, you're witnessing the gentrification of the black college student off the PWI campus, which means what? The only colleges our children will have are the HBCUs. So my issue with Ed Reed and Dion, you cannot publicly badmouth HBCUs when the white power structure is trying to get rid of all of them. Half of the HBCUs in the country right now, they're being bullied into becoming a subsidiary of the predominant white institutions where they are. So Cheney University, they want them to become a part of Temple. You follow me? Every black college, Lamon Owen in Memphis, they want them to be a part of University of Memphis. So they want to have the white PWI colonize the HBCU. Here's the question. Most of our teachers come from where? HBCU. Most of our lawyers come from where? HBCU. Most of our doctors come from where? HBCU. If you keep shutting down these HBCUs and the Supreme Court overturns affirmative action at the PWI, where are we going to get our black professionals from? You won't have none. This room they're trying to turn. Issues. They're trying to turn black people into a permanent underclass. You follow what I'm saying? So what I would say to Ed Reed and Deion Sanders, complaining about living conditions and working conditions and coaching conditions. Don't get me wrong; they're correct. But you know why Bethune Cookman don't look like a PWI? You want to know why Jackson State don't look like a PWI? Because Dion, when you was in the NFL, Brother Ed, when you was in the NFL, when all these black ex-NFL and NBA greats was playing, was they donating to the HBCUs? Hell no, not systemically. So how dare you condemn an HBCU for having bad facilities when the reason they have bad facilities is y'all was too busy wasting y'all money on expensive white merchandise instead of donating to our HBCUs. So my thing with Ed, Ed didn't quit. They rescinded his offer after he publicly criticized them. I don't think it was a good move for him to publicly criticize them because you know that was going to happen. Black people have very frail egos, right? And I wonder if he did it on purpose so they would withdraw the offer. You follow what I'm saying? Did you not want to walk away like Dion so you wouldn't be ridiculed? You just created the circumstances where they would take back your job. In any event, this is what I say to ex-NFL greats. You know what the HBCs you look like. If you ain't going to ride it out, don't take the job. Do you follow what I'm saying? Because a lot of those students don't have mothers and fathers. When, when Dion showed up, when Ed Reed showed up, they're like, damn, not only do we got a father figure now, he's a superstar. And then you turn right around and walk out on him. Ed Reed, as bad as those conditions are, those kids are braving it. Dion Sanders, as bad as those conditions are, those students are braving it. So you mean to tell me it's okay for them to brave it, but you too good to brave it as well? What's more important? The educated, education of our kids 
or the comfort of a bunch of bougie black athletes who forgot how bad it was and how tough it was to be black in America. So, um, so okay, so so thank you so much for taking your time. Um, I like I said, we're literally recording this podcast during the Eagles championship game in Philadelphia. We walk outside right now. Everyone's going, you know. Everybody got on Eagles green. <laughs> the stadium is five minutes away. And yeah. I'm going to get y'all. Who told y'all to do the interview five minutes away from the stadium? Do you know how long it's going to take me to get right. home with all that Eagles traffic? Man, it's a, it's a little question. So, did you, so you, you, you're done with the NFL now, but. Yes. Are you a little, like, did you, did, you, did you watch the NFL in the past? Like, right now. I watched it in the past. Yeah. But after the Kyrie situation, I was done with Kaepernick, but not totally done. Okay. After the Kyrie situation, I said enough is enough. So then is it safe to say, like, although you're done with the NFL, you're right now, you're, you're still wondering what's going on with the game, just a little bit low key? Just a little bit, because <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Jalen Hurts fan. Right. And so I want him to do well, you know, so I might watch the highlights. Yeah. But in terms of watching game from corner to corner, I don't do it no more. No, yeah. And I'm a Kyrie and Kevin Durant fan. You follow me in Brooklyn doing really well. So it's very tough for me to not watch some of these games. But at the same time, I got to remember what we're standing for. And the NFL and the NBA are two international corporations that exploit black labor as a living, has done nothing for black people, mistreats its black athletes. And the last time I checked, Colin Kaepernick still don't have a job. Man, man, I admire, I admire your... Um, your and for ability. your listeners, yes. if anybody needs to reach me, if they need help with their children, call on me. Don't put them in special ed. Don't get them evaluated for ADHD. Don't get them evaluated for autism, emotional disturbance, intellectual disability. I'm the Black Community Certified School Psychologist. You call on me. If you need to reach me, 215-989-9858, 215-989-9858, or drumarjohnson.com, or drumarjohnson at yahoo.com. But if you don't know what to do, call on me first. A true man in the community, a man passionate about the people. I don't know anybody else more passionate about our people. Thank you. Yes, sir. Boom. Appreciate it. <laughs> Make that happen.